This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I run Northern Force Bullies located outside of Toronto, Canada. Um, I did, like many people, had no idea what a shorty bull was. Um, 10, not 10, 15 years ago. And I happened to be um, walking around a pet expo in Montreal. And I will always remember this. I walked around the aisle, walked around the corner, and I saw this dog sitting at the end on the edge of a table. And I looked at him and I said, wow, that is, that is what I want. Um, that dog's name was Rush. He was owned by now a good friend of mine, a breeder here in Quebec as well. Um, and I ended up purchasing uh, a puppy off of him from the first litter in Quebec. I believe the first litter in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So that was back in 2012, our Gracie was born. Um, I originally came into this just loving the breed, just wanting a pet. Um, I never in a million years thought I would end up where I am today. Uh, so we purchased Gracie. We ended up purchasing um, several other dogs within the first couple years. We really wanted to show our dogs originally before we even got into breeding. Um, so that's something that I did. Uh, the first dog I championed out was my dog Nelson, who is, um, he's 10 now, he turned 10 in October. So we've been, you know, through the whole range of raising puppies, showing dogs. Um, then in 2016, I decided I was ready to have a litter. So um, I bred a beautiful female, Hannah, that I got from Oscar at Shorty Bull Inc. And she was my first mama. And um, I kind of never looked back after that. I absolutely loved it. I loved the dogs. I loved working the dogs. Um, I did, you know, different things besides show. I did, you know, competition with other dogs and trials and that kind of thing. And that was a lot of fun. I, I think I tried to dabble in a little bit of everything to see kind of where I fit in and to see how far this breed could go. Cause that was really interesting to me because it was so new and it was so unknown um, just to see, you know, what can these little dogs do? And it turns out they can do pretty much anything. <laughs> so um, it's been amazing. It's been such a, such a fun ride. Um, and then 
we started probably around the same time, I'd say around 2015, 2016, we started really getting into the look of the colored shorty bowls, which is a whole conversation in itself. Um, but we, you know, that's something that we really wanted to add to our program. So we looked, we originally got uh, Prodigy, who was a chocolate male, who we still have today. Um, then we got into the blues. And again, you know, that propelled us and our program in a totally new direction. Um, I wouldn't say different because I think our expectations of shorty bulls and our expectations of ourselves remain the same. We wanted dogs that were functional, that were healthy, and that most of all, you know, had great temperament and, you know, corresponded to the shorty bull standard. I think a lot of people, when they get into a specific type or a specific color, unfortunately, the, a lot of the dogs lose breed type. And you see that not just in shorty bulls, but across the board in any breed. Um, so that was something that was, you know, non-negotiable for us. And I think we've done a pretty good job at, at following our own vision and um, aligning ourselves with the right people. And But that's meant, you know, turning down opportunities. That's meant, um, you know, adding dogs to a program that we in the end never bred because for whatever reason they didn't correspond to what we were looking for um and i think that that's a part of breeding that people don't necessarily understand or even talk about is that things don't always go according to plan and you know you have to make calls you have to um decide do you know what you're going to do for the best interest of moving forward and those decisions are not always easy but you know, I can, I can say with good confidence that I don't have many regrets. Um, so, you know, I'm glad we made those choices. I'm glad we, we chose what we chose. And um, the fact that we're still around today, 11 years, almost 12 years in, kind of says a lot about not only how stubborn I am as a person, um, but also you know, it, it shows the quality of what we've managed to create. And I'm, you know, I cannot sit here and say that we did it all on our own. We have a lot of people um, to thank, a lot of people that supported us. But, you know, we put in the work. We, every day, still, <laughs> to this day, we maintain, you know, a, a house and a kennel full of dogs. Um, being a breeder doesn't mean you breed a male and a female and have a litter. That. I'm like, <laughs> I will get a lot of flack for this, but that doesn't make you a breeder. Um, it makes you someone who mated two dogs and had a litter of puppies. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's important, you know, to, for us to, to make that clear to people that, you know, we're not fly by night people. Um, you know, we've, we've made the efforts. I think we've done more than most. Um, and I'm very happy where we, where we're sitting today. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, I know you've had Jamie Sweet on here and I think she's in terms of history, she is probably the best person to ask. Um, but you know, we get this question a lot, um, as breeders because, most people come across our dogs, they think they like the look, they like the idea, but they don't really know what it is. Um, so 
the shorty bowls were originally created to be a, a healthier, more athletic, more versatile version of your traditional bulldog. Um, so it's basically they did sequential breeding to eventually um, by taking bulldog breeds like the Frenchie, like the English bulldog, breeding them together, slowly morphing that into the size, the look, um, that is the shorty bull today. So we're going back probably to the nineties at this point where it really first originated. Um, as I mentioned, Jamie Sweet is the creator of shorty bulls. I think you, know, you, you probably at this point have to be living under a rock not to know that, but anyone who's had the chance to meet her or talk to her, you know, will understand why she's so passionate about the breed because they are truly, in my opinion, the the best breed of dog you'll ever come across. Um, I've had American Bulldogs. I've had Old English Bulldogs. Um, I've, through utter, utter life <laughs> choices, I've, you know, raised a lot of French Bulldogs. Um, Shorty Bulls do not even compare. Um, you know, it's, they, there's just something in their soul. <laughs> There's something so special and so human about them. Um, a lot of people joke around and say you can never just have just one. And that is so true. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very addicting because they're a small dog. They're a good size for, you know, young families, for people who live, you know, in smaller living spaces. Um, you know, not all of us have the chance to live on acres of land in the country a lot of people have townhouses have condos um but they don't necessarily want a small breed they still like the look and the temperament of a big dog and shorty bulls are very much a big dog in a tiny little 35 pound body they have big personalities they certainly don't realize how little they are <laughs> they will go up against the world for you um I always tell this story. I have a good friend of mine in Northern BC that owns one of our shorty bulls and they have a lot of bears there. And this little guy growls and barks at the bears and the moose. And, you know, he, he would be gone in a split second if he ever acted on any of that. But, you know, he, he doesn't care. And, you know, that's, that's very true for most shorty bulls. They have no fear, um, you know, balls to the wall they they do it and they love it and i think that's why people fall in love with them because they they are brave and they are so loyal to their people they're you know they love their families they love their humans and you know they're just easy they're they're manageable they're not a big size they don't go through 10 bags of food a month it's it's really a good uh it's, it's really a good breed. They're, you know, I obviously, obviously I'm biased, <laughs> but I, I don't think I will ever breed anything else to, to this extent. I don't think I will ever, like, even if I didn't breed anymore, I, I think I would still own a shorty bull for the rest of my life. Could you just quickly cover what all breeds that are used in the shorty bull and why you like that why you think that combination works? 
Yeah, so originally it was mostly English Bulldog, French Bulldog, and Staffy. Um, obviously, you can see in the stamina and the longevity of the Shorty Bulls the the impact of the Staffy and and I tell people it's it's such a small percentage if you look back at old pedigrees um, it's very very minimal but for some reason those traits really really carried through um, and I know from speaking to Jamie and I hope I don't like misspeak on this um, but I know when she bred she had certain characteristics that she was looking for so she did use a lot of english bulldogs but she used english bulldogs that were out of the english bulldog standard so they were usually smaller than your traditional english bulldog they were more active they didn't have you know the overdone characteristics of what you think when you think about an english bulldog um so you know that's I think that's also given them a lot of their braveness because English Bulldogs, as much as people think about them as being a very lazy dog, which I they can be, um, they are very headstrong. And I, I think you see that a lot in the Shorty Bull. Um, the Frenchie, in terms of size, I mean, for sure, that brought the size down and just gave them, you know, Frenchies have big personalities also. I mean, they are similar in a lot of ways. Um, so I think it's just that that choice of those breeds and and not only those breeds, but I think the very specific specimens of dogs that were chosen in the very beginning. And, you know, I will say they did a great job at choosing those dogs because you can still see those traits now, not just physically, but there are things, you know, that I've noticed that are that I never thought would be genetic but in terms of personality and and their temperaments and their reactions to things I mean we we have dogs at home we have three sometimes four generations and I see puppies and I think oh my god your grandmother did that like how do you even how do you even know that how do you even know as a puppy how to do that or you react the same way that your mom did when she was a puppy so that's you know that's really cool for me to see from my perspective but I think that also shows how consistent the breed can be I think we'll get into this I think a lot of people have strayed away from that but you know I, I think those specific breeds yes because they have really great characteristics that mesh well together but I think it is the original dogs that were used that were chosen for specific reasons that I can't speak about because I wasn't there, but it's made it that this breed, when you say a shorty bull, it's pretty much the same across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Can you uh, talk about what health testing means to your program and what are some of the, uh, <laughs> issues that shorty bulls face as far as health is concerned so like i said they were originally created to have fewer health issues than you find in your traditional bulldogs i mean they are living beings anything can happen just like any breed they're not bulletproof unfortunately um luckily i haven't seen major issues in in my dogs i think you know we were selective in choosing dogs from good places from good breeders and luck plays into that also I'm not gonna lie it's you know you can make the best choices and still have bad luck um, I think 
personally, I have mixed feelings about health testing. Um, I believe in it, it to a certain extent. I, I do think there's a lot of value to it. There's a couple issues when it comes to the shorty bull. Um, there's not a lot of people that do health testing. So your, your comparisons are very few. So when they give you medians for things, the, the sample population is so small that it's really hard to have an accurate idea of what that actually means. Um, I know, you know, there are tests that you can order online now that clear your dogs from, you know, 200 and however many genetic flaws. And, you know, those are great. I mean, I have used them on my dogs. I have clients that have used them on their dogs and it is interesting. Like I'm, I'm a big nerd in a lot of ways. So I do find that actually interesting to see, to read the reports. Um, I have a perspective where my dogs act like dogs. They go outside, they sniff grass, they drink fresh water, they get lots of exercise. Um, they're treated like dogs. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Sometimes people think that that's a negative thing. I don't. I, I think they have a life that a dog should have. They're, they're treated very well, don't get me wrong, but they're not they're not overly spoiled either. So they do have to, there's a, there's a minimum that's expected of them. Um, and my dogs live to be old. <laughs> and I think that speaks more to me as a person than any test that you order online, any swab that you put in your dog's mouth. I mean, look at people's programs, look at people that still have their dogs 10, 12 years in. Um, you know, look at how how the females whelp. Um, you know, are they good moms? Are they healthy? Are they having healthy puppies? You know, I, I don't have, you know, in litters, I don't really have runts. I mean, granted, they're not huge litters, but we don't have dogs that struggle. We don't have, you know, e even adults. Like, we don't have adults that have unmanageable allergies for example that's that's a huge one now that every dog out there has allergies is it luck am i a magician i don't know but <laughs> my dogs and we have several dogs at home of various ages um they're fine you know they're they're active they're not limping they're not struggling to live and to me that is so much more important and you know, I, I know I've lost clients because of health testing and, and that's okay because I, I'm not going to go against what I believe in either. Um, but you know, I, I don't see issues. And like I mentioned before, several generations in, you would see the issues and it wouldn't be a very viable business model if we were breeding unhealthy dogs. We, I mean, we offer health guarantees on our puppies, so we would be constantly, replacing dogs we would be constantly troubleshooting and and having problems and having issues um and yeah they're living beings things can happen there are dogs that have issues there are some of our dogs that have issues dogs that we've sold that have come up with this most random thing it happens but it doesn't make it across the board you know um and, and I think that I'm, I'm happy to share that with people. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed that I don't 
do this full gamut of health testing, I, I stand by my dogs. I stand by my breeding program, my reputation. And I think that that speaks for itself. So, I mean, I think people forget that there are certain things also that like, you know, if you breed, um, sorry, if you test your, your original breeding stock, like for example, for HC, which is hereditary cataracts, um, all of our foundation dogs were checked for that. None of them had them. Um, so you don't have to retest every dog every time, right? Like those are things, they're literally hereditary. It says in the name. <laughs> so you don't need to be constantly testing, for example, your keeper puppy out of the litter. Um, those are things that were done years and years ago. And, you know, you're set for, for a long time if you do those things. Um, you know, I've seen dogs that come back clear of all genetic faults. That's wonderful. And I applaud breeders that do that because it is a lot of work. It's a huge financial investment too. I mean, let's be real. When you have a breeding program and you're, you're having to test dozens of dogs, um, that's a lot. But then I see, you know, the dogs come back clear of everything and... I look at the dog. Well, the dog has no breed type. <laughs> it can't it can't walk. It can't breathe properly. So, you know, what are we looking at? You know, we we're looking at a test result, which is fantastic. Good for you for doing it and and great for the dog not having that. But the dog in front of me is also a train wreck. So, are you breeding it because it's clear of all genetic faults, but the specimen itself it to me is not a breeding dog or are you like you said using it as a marketing tool and be like yeah i'm breeding this dog because it's genetically clear of everything so it's kind of you know it's a rabbit hole that a lot of people fall down um i you know i've had the, this discussion a hundred times with with potential clients with other breeders um i think everyone has to find kind of where they're comfortable at and I'm not saying I won't you know decide one day to health test all of my dogs and get them all OFA tested and I might I might decide to go that way um part of it is curiosity um part of it is you know is it what's going to be expected of me maybe I I don't know what the future holds um I trust my dogs I trust my veterinarian <laughs> um I, I trust what I have in front of me. So, so far, you know, I haven't had anything that's made me go, oh my goodness, you know, this went completely left field. And again, is it, is it the right choices that we made or is it pure luck? I don't know. <laughs> again, time will tell us that too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, for sure. And I, like I said, it's, it's still new and. and It's very new. And I think it's, it's still that in itself is evolving. And I think, you know, what we see today is not what we're going to see five years from now. When I first started with Shorty Bulls, health testing wasn't a thing. It it didn't exist in Shorty Bulls. It didn't exist in most bully breeds. Um, I mean, the first time I heard of it was through like the American Bulldog world because they they did do a lot of health testing. But that's a lot because a lot of them are are working dogs. They're hunting dogs. They they do, you know, various things. So that was super important. And it was, you know, very much popular. And it still is in that breed today. But, you know, now I see micro exotics being health tested, which I never thought I would see. But it's great if they are. It's it's you know, more power to you if you do it and, and you, your dogs are cleared. I mean, that's amazing. I, I wish everyone the best. I'm not here to, to criticize anyone. I'm just saying, if the question is, what do I do? That's my personal position on it. And I don't frown upon someone who does it. And there are some people I think that maybe should learn how to look at their dogs (laughs) instead of just relying on a test Um, But I mean, there's got to be a balance. And I think, like you said, it it has to keep evolving to to see where everyone fits in there. This kind of brings up a thought in my head, like how important is mentorship uh, for new breeders? How important was it to you when you first started breeding? I think it's I think it's super important. I think. you can tell pretty quickly the people that have had no guidance. Um, and I mean, to me, mentorship is not just necessarily in the breeding community, but it's also in the pet community. Um, there's a lot of people that purchase a dog and they have zero support after that from the breeder. And I think that that's super unfortunate because, you know, and this kind of ties into health testing too. If you do have an issue, for you to be able to go back to the person where you purchased the dog and ask them, have you ever seen this? Have you heard of this? Have you know, is this something common? That can be very helpful and it can be very appeasing because generally speaking, people love their dogs and they get very upset if they think that something is wrong. So it's it's important for the breed itself and and you know, because I feel like there's not many of us that have been around for a long time. There's a lot of new breeders. Um, the mentorship, you know, comes into play because we need to be able to tell the next generation of people kind of what's what. <laughs> and not all, like about the breed, but also how do you go about it? How, you know, how do you breed these dogs? How can you be successful? And you know, I've been super lucky to, to have worked with other kennels that, 
you know, where people have genuinely turned into some of my best friends. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's true. <laughs> it's, you know, there's people that I've, you know, um, Carrie from Devil Mountain is a big one. We, we purchased the dog from her many, many years ago. I speak to her almost daily. We speak about dogs, yes, but, you know, she, she knows my children. She knows my life. I know hers. It, it's, you know, it's evolved into something more. And I think building that trust and that relationship with people is, is priceless because I know that if I ever have any questions, I, I can go to someone like her, someone like Oscar from Shorty Bolink. They, you know, they've been around for a long time. Jamie is another great one. And I, I keep throwing her name in the conversation. But, you know, they have history. They have experience. And just like anything, it's nice to have someone to look up to. It's nice to, you know, have someone that you can trust. Because I know that if I ask them, it's going to be an honest answer. No matter what the answer is. Um, you know, I'm not out to get anyone. If their answer isn't one that I like, then too bad. I mean, that's, you know, that, that might happen somewhere down the road, but if you don't have people to count on, it's going to be a very, very long journey. And I think the people that lack mentorship are the ones that are going astray. They're the ones that are, are being very kennel blind because no one is being honest with them. No one is telling them, you know what, maybe that dog, eh, you know, it's not, it's not quite there yet, or it might never get there. Um, and I think that that's why that we do see poor quality. And I'll talk about the shorty bulls, but obviously this applies, you know, to everyone. But I think that's why we do see poor quality dogs, because someone at some point should have just said, I don't think that dog's breeding quality. And but we live in a society of social media. You know, you have 44 likes on Facebook. Oh, well, that means I should breed the dog. You know, it, it's it's a really backwards way of thinking. And I feel like if someone would have sat a lot of these people down along the way and been like, you know what? Like, this is what your dog's lacking. This is what you need to do. Um, the same goes, and we, we talked about this a little bit before our interview, people selling puppies. A lot of people are absolutely unable to sell puppies right now. And the market is very much a buyer's market, as you said. So anyone looking to purchase dogs, this is a golden opportunity because people don't have marketing skills. They don't have sales skills. They, they especially don't have a following. And I see a lot of readers that are ghosts until they have a litter to sell and then they pop up and they flood your feed every single day with puppy pictures because all they want to do right now is and I don't like the word dump but at this point that's kind of what it looks like in a lot of cases they they want to rehome these pets as soon as possible to whoever and um you know, we're a week before Christmas now. These Christmas deals, these fire sales, it's its unreal to me. And I think it's so unfortunate because what's going to happen to these dogs in the long run? You know, it's, you know, the mentorship, again, like would, would be greatly helpful in, in just explaining to people, how do you market yourself? How do you market your breeding program? Um, you know, if you haven't, 
sold a litter please for the love of god don't go breed another dog and have another litter you know like it's it's all of these things except that sometimes you know when you make comments like that to people it's taken as criticism and you know i i have tried to help people through the years along the way and maybe i've been a little too too honest <laughs> with them but i just feel that you know those of us that have had a breed like a shorty bull for a long time are very protective of the breed we we want to see it do well and if it doesn't i mean it hurts all of us um i mean i'm super fortunate to have a following of people i'm you know we've had a waiting list for six years now and we still have people on our waiting list um i mean granted i'm not pushing out 10 litters of puppies a year and and that's by choice but you know i'm happy to know that there's people that are expecting a shorty bull in 2024 and i'm happy to work towards that and get them that perfect puppy um it takes a lot of stress off of us as breeders too i mean if you're breeding and you're you have all these puppies that you can't find homes for and you're out all of this money and it costs more money to keep them like it's a very it's a very hard circle to be stuck in and you know people I hope people know that they, they can and they should reach out for help, that they shouldn't just sit there and kill the market for everyone because that's kind of what ends up happening. They end up having the $1,200 puppies because they they need to rehome them and it's not a $1,200. I mean, like that's an arbitrary number. I really don't care what people sell their puppies for, but, you know, puppies going for cheap is, is not a good sales tactic in the long run. That, that's super important. And, you know, I, I get a lot of flack for this too, but breeding dogs is a business. I, I know they're living beings. I know they, they, you know, it's not about making money off of them. It's just about building it up with a business model. And, I mean, take the money aspect out of it for one second. It's just about it's it's more than a full-time job it's you know like it to us it's it's 24 7 365 days a week a, a week a year <laughs> it's you know we we don't have family vacations we don't go anywhere we you know like I can't speak for anyone else but I know like our family has sacrificed a lot for this dream and you know our kids our kids know, like, when we have puppies, it's all hands on deck. You know, if, if anything happens, you know, I've put my kids in the car in the middle of the night because I had to go to the emergency vet. Um, you know, they learn very quickly about life and death. And I think that that is a beautiful lesson for them. And I'm proud that they, that they learn it. Um, I'm proud that they've grown up around it and hopefully it, it teaches them work ethic in the long run too, but it's not, it's not a hobby. And I, I get really insulted when people call it a hobby because to me, a hobby is, is, you know, knitting. It's not like you're, you're dealing with a, with a living being. Like if you can't get out of bed one day then that's really too bad for you you have to get out of bed anyway um you know I I mean not like I don't want to put my personal story here on exhibit but I mean 
I, I, I've gone through having children. I've gone through moving. I've gone through, you know, like lost friendships, lo- you know, grief, like all of these things. And, you know, at the end of the day, my dogs were still fed and let out every day. They're, they're still, I mean, obviously there's a team. I'm, I'm very lucky to have a wonderful husband who loves this almost as much as I do and supports me in it. I think that is super, super important. Um, but it also means that it, it's, it's not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Having dogs, being a dog breeder is 100% a lifestyle. Um, and then there's the whole financial aspect of it that, that you brought up too. I mean, the dogs have to be a viable business. Um, the way that I see it, and I think what most people hope for, is that the dogs pay for themselves. So whatever money you generate off of the sale of adult dogs or puppies or whatever, that you reinvest back into your breeding program. I think that's the ultimate goal. Does that always happen? No. <laughs> you pull money from other places, usually. But, you know, it, it's if you're going to make it viable and if you're going to, you know, eventually not be always in the negative, you have to see it as a long-term project. Um, you know, if you buy a male and a female for X amount of dollars, you breed them, you sell the puppies, and you think, oh, I made money then you're not in it for the right reasons, unfortunately. I think, you know, if you take that money and you go buy a motorcycle, that's great. I mean, I'd love a motorcycle, but that's just not a long-term viable way of doing things. I mean, we, we've we taken money from dogs and bought other dogs. We've, you know, um, we've paid vet bills, that, you know, for example. Like, it's just all of these things that we have to do with with the dog money and, you know, but we also work for it. I mean, if you if you follow us on social media, like we post daily, we we answer people right away when they message us. We you know give people as much information as we can, and you know, for every person that ends up purchasing a dog from us, we've probably spoken to thirty others and just given them information, and they either didn't buy a dog at all or bought it from someone else, and that's fine. I'm actually very happy to do that and I I would much rather do that and know that they have the information the proper information um but it's full-time work it's you know it's I don't know what time at night now and I'm still <laughs> working and you know we're still doing this and you have to love it you you have to be in love with it but you also have to be realistic and and work it like a business and be smart and I know you mentioned this earlier, it's it's about the dogs, yes, it's about having a beautiful dog, but you have to be a good person. You also have to be nice to people, and I think that's a very basic concept that's unfortunately lost sometimes of, you know, people just are rude, <laughs> and, you know, it, it doesn't make anyone look good, and you do lose out on sales, you do lose out on potential clients down the road by acting that way. Um, again, I mean, this this goes back to mentorship. I think there's a lot to be said in that aspect too of how do you treat clients? How do you take care of situations that are unfortunate? Um, we all deal with them. We all deal with problematic situations, problematic clients, problematic other breeders. Um, you have to be able to handle it. And I think having a little bit of class goes a long way instead of 
just, you know, going on a social media blast. I think I don't like the word change so much as I would say evolve <laughs> because it it's it's still evolving. Um, I think any good thing in this world needs to evolve to get to where it needs to be. Um, I think the I think the biggest evolution is probably the overall expectation of people on on the dog. Um, I mean, we can get into specifics too. I think when it first started, there were so few dogs and they were so, for the most part, very consistent. There were two distinct lines of shorty bulls and you could tell right away which one was from where. Um, I see that still now with specific programs. Like you'll see a dog and you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's from that breeding program. Um, and that's, you know, personally a goal that I want to achieve that someone sees my dog one day and be like, oh yeah, that's a Norman Force Bullies dog, you know, in, in a good way, of course, not like an, oh my God, that's a Norman Force Bullies dog. Um, so there's that. I mean, color is a big one. Um, I think, I think now people have gravitated also to a more laid back look. So the dogs are a little bit chunkier. They're a little bit heavier, a little bit lazier. And maybe that's partly too, to we're all getting older. Maybe we want lazier dogs and we're kind of becoming lazier ourselves. Um, there's, there's fewer dogs that I would consider the working shorty bull. Um, which I think is unfortunate because I think that's such a cool part of the breed. That's such a unique thing that they can do. Um, and yeah, like I said, color is the big one. Like anything else, you saw lots of brindle and cream dogs back in the day. And that was great. I mean, I love a brindle dog. I always have. Um, I still talk about, you know, I've never produced a cream dog. And that bothers me, <laughs> which is the stupidest thing because everyone is on a quest for, you know, crazy stuff. And I would just like a really nice cream dog that I've never yet have. I've had adult cream dogs that I've purchased. I've never produced one. And um, you saw that a lot. And the red fawn, you know, so all of these things you actually see less of, you know, some people who produce them still produce them. Jamie will always, always be known for a very specific look. Um, you know, that that's different than like Oscar built his whole entire program on the chocolate shorty bowl. And that's what he's known for. Now he has glues, he has tries. Um, and I think to be able to do that without losing sight of the standard, without losing sight of what a shorty bowl is supposed to look like, um, I think that's super important. I think there's more variations of the shorty bull now than there were before. Like I said, there's the ones that are of a less athletic look. There's those that are still, you know, a little bit more agile. And personally, I like a mix of both. <laughs> you know, in an ideal world, I think we all, you know, want to take two dogs and make one out of them. And that would be the perfect dog. I don't think the perfect dog exists which is why we're all sitting here still after so many years trying to achieve perfection. Um, but I love that 
it has evolved enough and gained enough traction that people expect more from us now. They they expect, you know, not just, oh, I want a shorty bowl because it's new. They're like, no, I want a shorty bowl, but I want it to be healthy and I want it to be able to do this and able to do that. And I want it to be this color. And, you know, people put in, it's like going to the restaurant, <laughs> they put in a very specific order and we just scramble to try and, and make it happen. Um, but like I said before, I think a lot of the traits that were included in the very, very beginning are still there. I think you need to look for them. I think a lot of people by breeding mediocre dogs have diluted the quality quite a bit. Um, and I'm by no means saying that every single one of my dogs is perfect. I have, you know, I have dogs that I'm sure other people don't like. I produce dogs that I personally think I could have done better. That's, that's me being critical. And I think that that's important as a breeder. Um, you know, all of my dogs live in homes and they're loved and they're cared for. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters. But I think from a breeding perspective, if you're going to breed dogs together, they need to be top notch. And a lot of them aren't. Um, is that because people don't want to see it? Is it because they can't see it? I'm not sure. Uh, I think, and maybe we can, we can touch into this a little bit too, but I don't believe every dog should be sold with breeding rights. Um, that's another big thing. People pay more money for a dog with breeding rights. So they think they can breed it, even if the dog doesn't turn out to be what it's supposed to be. Um, they breed it because they figure they can. And that has brought the quality down. It's made it that I find the dogs are less consistent today when really they should be because you're so much further on in the evolution that those those looks should have been locked in. I mean, I think in terms of temperament, it's it's pretty good. I think they're, they're easy dogs. They're manageable. Um, you don't really see many that are like overly aggressive or that kind of thing. That's just not really a shorty bull thing. Um, anyways, that I've come across, but they are drivey. I think that drive needs to be managed. Um, if you have a dog that is very drivey, you need to be able to channel that properly. But it, it's just, I find a lot of people because they're so new, don't remember what it was before. They don't remember the dogs hanging from the spring poles and the dogs doing bite work and, you know, all of that. That was like one of the things that attracted me to Shorty Bulls because it was such, you know, it was so amazing to watch. And it was so cool to think that this tiny little thing is trying to take down this decoy. Um, so, I mean, evolution is a good thing. I think a lot of good has come from it. I think it's it's much more mainstream now. I think it, it makes our job marketing the dogs a lot easier. But it also means that because there's so many more to choose from, they're not all where they should be. I mean, back in the day when there were three, four breeders, all the dogs were fantastic. And I mean, no one can dispute that. Now, the more people get into it, the more they do, the quality goes down. And that's that's the unfortunate part of evolving a breed. It's not for everyone. And and that's okay. I mean, you, you know, knock on wood, like I've never had a whole litter of land sharks. I've had, you know, 
I mean, depending on the parents, like we have parents that are drivier and, and I do disclose that to people. If people come to me looking for a puppy, my first question that I ask them is, what are you looking for? I mean, whether you get it from me or from someone else, it doesn't matter to me, but please tell me what you're looking for because that will help me direct you. Um, you know, there are people who do show dogs extremely well. There are people that do working dogs extremely well, you know, so I, I like a balance of both, but you know, depending on what the person wants, then, you know, if you want to drive your dog, I can tell you, okay, well, get a puppy off Cali. Cali is crazy, you know, and, and that's in a good way. <laughs> but, you know, like that kind of thing. And I think being honest about that is important because then it, it you, you were talking, it made me think of like the whole show world is totally different. You know, the expectations of judges about shorty bulls are not necessarily always what you would expect um you know we've been lucky here in Canada to have a lot more shows in the last couple years um so it's been really fun for us to be able to go out and show our dogs and kind of see you know what are judges liking what are they giving titles to and I think that that's been a really interesting experience and it's it's humbling in a lot of ways and I know a lot of the judges are still learning about shorty bulls also so it's kind of funny to be in a ring being judged by someone who doesn't really know the breed while you've done the breed for a decade you know it's kind of a weird it's a weird place but I think you know a good judge should know dogs regardless of the breed so in terms of form and function and you know they they can give you really important feedback um so that's another thing, you know, if people are looking to show their dogs and that's a totally different conversation than, you know, if you want to drive your dog because, you know, athletic dogs are not necessarily what is predominant in the show world. Um, so, I mean, it, it, there's just so many variables and I think that's why it's extremely important for people to to have conversations, for breeders to not just be like, oh, I have four puppies available. Which one do you want? You know, there has to be more to the conversation than that. And I'm happy to hear that there are a lot of people like you out there that ask a lot of questions, that that shop around, that, you know, it, it's... I would much prefer have people like that. I have people that ask me questions for two, three years before they buy a dog. And eventually they do buy a shorty bull from us because they were satisfied by the fact that they got all of their answers over a time period. And to me, that's, that's really gratifying because it, it proves my theory that if you support people, they will also support you back. Here's kind of might be a controversial question that you may not want to dive into. And I, I appreciate that. Um, what I've noticed with the shorty bull, which is kind of concerning, I guess, uh, is they kind of been taking on this exotic bully look. And I don't know if that's because of crossing or is it because that's the look that's become more popular and marketable. Uh, I don't have anything against an exotic dog if it's correct looking. But some of these examples that I've seen with shorty bulls are not very correct looking. Am I off base? No. And yes, this is very controversial, but I'm here for it. So 
First of all, shorty bulls don't look like exotics. Exotics look like shorty bulls. It's the other way around. A lot, a lot of exotic programs that I will remain unnamed have used shorty bulls in their programs. And that is why a lot of people think, oh, the shorty bulls look exotic when it's actually the opposite. But that's a story for another day. I think the overdone look, like I think what you're, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think you mean by like an exotic looking dog is like the overdone features, the overdone bowed legs and, you know, two inches off the ground and like they lose a lot of the function. Um, I don't want to name names. I don't think like this is the place for that. No. But I'd be curious to kind of see an example of that because I haven't seen it so much in the shorty bowls. I think a lot of it is also a little bit of photography trickery. I think, you know, people can make, you know, a, an extreme dog look even more extreme. And, you know, a lot of people just go for that look. And, you know, a running joke in my family is the fire emoji. So, you know, you see a dog, it has 20 fire emojis under the paper. You know, that's that's funny to me. Like, it, it's, it doesn't, it's not really a gauge of anything. I haven't seen that so much in the Shorty Bulls. I, I can think of a couple off the top of my head that are overdone. But to be totally unfunctional, I can't really think of any. I, you know, I mean, it's personal preference too. I mean, I don't. I like a bully dog. I like, I think like shorty bulls have to have substance. It's a shorty bull. Like there has to be bull in there. There has to be, you know, sort of to it and a strength to it. And it has to have like this, this bulldog look. Um, no one wants like giraffes either. So it's kind of, you know, this healthy balance of both. But I, I think maybe those dogs are, are they even shorty bulls? Like, that's kind of what I'm wondering at this point. Like, where do they come from? Are they, are they people that are marketing them as shorty bulls, but they're, they're actually not because like that, that happens a lot to Trilly. So it, it's, I think, I think function is something that shorty bull breeders have been very aware of and it's really like to me it's what sets us apart i mean having a functional bulldog is the whole marketing of it it's it's actually it's a huge part of it. you know I, I i have super bully dogs that are extremely functional that you would look at and think they never move an inch and they do um, so again is it is it just is it just like an Instagram picture that people are looking for likes? Is it just, you know, is it just about that? Or is it actually truthfully overdone? Because I've seen a lot of dogs in pictures that I'm thinking, wow, this dog is extreme. And then I see it in real life. And it, like, yeah, it's 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 bully, but it's not, it's not at all what I expected from the picture. So I think there is, unfortunately, a lot of that. I mean... The pandemic created a lot of, you know, social media warriors and social media kings and queens where everything is just a picture. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to be out in real life and actually see the dogs, see the breeders, 
Yeah, and the thing, like in in the shorty bull standard, there's no there's no minimum height. There's a maximum height, but there's no minimum height. So I I can understand why some people might take advantage of that. Um, the one super important thing that I think is really overlooked in the standard is where it says that the dog has to be proportionate. And that's, to me, that's kind of really the, the base of the pyramid is to, you know, have a dog that has proper proportions. So if it's a little bit taller, then it looks different. You know, my, my dogs that are say 14 inches look very different than the ones that are 11 inches, right? Like they have the same features, they have the same breed type, but they don't look the same. They, but I can make them look the same in a picture. That That's kind of where what I'm coming to is mm-hmm. seeing the dog, you know, next, and, and a lot of these these people post pictures and you don't see the dog next to anything. So there's, there's no point of reference, you know, is it, obviously you see the grass, like the grass has a certain length, but you don't necessarily see it next to another dog or a person or, and, and that's something that I get asked a lot is, you know, can you send me a picture of you next to the dog Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, a something like a chair, uh, you know, because it's so hard to imagine what they actually look like just based on a picture. And, you know, I, but I agree with you. I I think the, the extreme bowed out overdone, I, I actually think it looks very sloppy. I don't like that look. Um, I like, I like a bully dog. I love a bully dog. And always will but it has to walk (laughs) it has to be able to stand up it has to be able to move and you know again this this goes back to our whole mentorship conversation too if you've never left your house and you've never seen various shorty bulls from various areas from various programs it's going to be really hard for you to fully understand the breed if you've only ever seen dogs from one breeder and they weren't so great, then, you know, that's your basis of the whole breed, then how are you going to learn from that? You can't, you, you, you're going to get stuck in this, this mindset. Um, which is why, you know, if you're going to breed, I think, I think you should look at, at different breeders. I think you should, you know, ask for videos. It, it obviously, like geographically people are spread out, but you know, at the very least, you know, look through the whole Facebook page, look through the whole Instagram page, see how they've evolved. If, if what you see is only goes back seven or eight months, or if what you see are only puppies for sale, that's kind of a big red flag. Look for people who are out and about with their dogs. You know, like before the pandemic, we used to do the Canadian pet expos. It was amazing. Like we met so many people through that. Like we, we advocated for this breed. We met our clients through that. We met, you know, so many people and we did shows with our dogs and, you know, it, it's, and I tell people, you know, come to the show. Don't come to show your dog if you don't have a dog or if you don't want to show, but just come see our dogs, come see them in person, come interact. And, you know, you'll, you'll see that maybe they're not what you expected from the picture for, for better or for worse. I mean, sometimes, you know, you see something in person and you don't like it and that's okay. But sometimes, it turns out better than you expected. Um, but again, you know, if people want to trash a breed, they will. And they're they're going to do it behind closed doors. I, I think, again, the shorty bull community is still 
reasonably small, it's still pretty critical <laughs> of itself. Um, so, you know, if you, if you ask around, I think you'll quickly, you'll quickly find out, you know, who are the people that are doing it right and who are the people that are maybe going for a look that isn't really what people are wanting. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for answering that question. I appreciate that. Um, what registry do you do you guys go through and, and what, what's the reasoning behind that? So originally there, so, okay, to, the short answer is our dogs are registered with the BBC, the Bull Breed Coalition. A lot of our dogs are also dual registered with the ABKC. Um, that was also for show purposes because the ABKC is shows. Um, we have dogs that are registered with BRC as well for show purposes. Um, the There were originally two registries, so the BBC and the BBCR. So we have a lot of dogs that are BBCR registered as well. Um, the BBCR, as far as I know, no longer exists. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, you know, not really something that we pursue at this point. Um, I think it's important to have founding registries especially for breeds that are that are still pretty new um and i appreciate that other registries like the abkc for example honor that so you can't just go and single register a dog you have to provide paperwork from a founding registry which i think is super important um i you know very honestly a lot of people that we sell dogs to the pet homes don't even really realize they have paperwork or even you know ask about it um because they just want a great dog to me it is important to have the dogs registered um it makes it legit it, it just it's as simple as that um if you've worked hard and you invested your time and your money there's no reason for you not to register your dogs unless you're hiding something or your dogs are not registered. Um, I, I like looking at pedigrees. I know you can't base your decision just on a pedigree. You have to look at the dog in front of you, but I like seeing what's behind my dogs. I like, you know, seeing where they come from and the similarities in them. And, you know, the more we've gone down this road, the more we're included in the pedigrees, which sounds like super silly, but it's it's really cool to look back at at your own progress and and see you know knowing the dogs like i i can safely say that i've personally like i personally know probably 80 percent of the dogs in every single one of my pedigrees either i've seen them in person or i know enough about them that i feel like i have a very good idea of what they look like and I think that's important. I think, you know, to know where you're going in life, you have to know where you come from. So it doesn't, it's not foolproof. Like I said, I mean, they're, you know, you can take two dogs with the exact same pedigree and they can look totally different. Um, but, you know, it, if you're going to breed, if you're going to establish yourself, if there's no reason for you not to register your dogs. There's absolutely none whatsoever. How important is the show ring for you and your program? Are you actively showing your dogs? Is it still a thing or was it just something to, 
to establish what you were trying to do? So we did it a lot in the beginning. Um, like I said, then we took a hiatus and that was mostly because there wasn't a lot available around us. Um, and as for reasons previously mentioned, us traveling for extended periods of time is not always feasible, uh, especially, you know, all of us together. Usually one of us goes to shows and the other person stays home, um, which is fine. But, you know, in the last, I'd say year, at least year and a half, um, we, you know, we've seen a lot more shows in Canada. Um, before that, there were quite a few also, but we hosted them. So it wasn't really appropriate for us to show our own dogs. Um, now that we're able to show in registries and that, you know, we have nothing to do with the shows and we can just attend as participants. It, it has been, it's been fun to be back in the ring. It, it's been fun to see dogs that we've produced in the ring. Um, and, you know, it's a good feeling. It's, it, I, I don't think any one thing is, is a deciding factor. Like, I don't think I'll ever just have show dogs or just have working dogs or, but I like to see dogs taken out of their element. So, you know, our dogs live on our property. They live a very sheltered lifestyle. <laughs> they, you know, they only see each other all day, every day. So it, it's, it's neat to see in terms of temperament, in terms of personality, how they can go out into a totally new situation. And sometimes they do very well and sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes they absolutely bomb and that's okay. That's part of the learning experience. Um, but it, it's nice to be a part of the community. I think it's twofold. It's yes, titling your dogs is important because of course, if you know, if you're, if you're championing out your dogs, that has a meaning, that has a value. It has a, you know, it, it's validating as a breeder and it's, you know, super nice to see, oh, hey, cutie. I got a little glimpse of the Frenchie there. Um, it's super validating, you know, to go out and, and have other people appreciate your dogs and, it's for us as as people that networking and those relationships that we build with other breeders and obviously at shows you have all other breeds right like we're not just storyable people um there's actually only us and barb thompson in here in canada that shows so barb and i are always together and we hang out and we show and she usually wins and it's amazing like i i love it i'm super happy for her um she actually has a new ABKC champion, Maverick. And so Maverick is out of our stud and her female. So that one was really special for us. You know, like it, it, we watched her campaign the dog. We watched her and Caitlin, who owns Maverick, do it together. And, you know, it's totally their hard work and their win. But, I mean, it, we played a role in it. We, we helped create this little monster. So, you know, to us, that's that's fun. And, and I'm happy to encourage other people and I'm happy to support people who are doing a good job. I, I don't see it as competition. I, I see it as an opportunity to work with someone and even with other breeds. I mean, a lot of them obviously have American bullies or exotic bullies. You know, if you're going to the BRC, those kinds of things. And 
those are all people that maybe somewhere down the road you you want to work with them maybe they know of someone that wants a shorty maybe they you know if if nothing else when they go out in their life and they see a shorty then they think less and they think oh yeah I know what a shorty girl is and you know that's that's cool I think building those connections and you know we often feel we're in our own little bubble where there's dogs and dogs and lots and more dogs so to go out and obviously talk about dogs and it's all about dogs but you know it's nice to be around people that are like-minded it's nice to learn from them because everyone has experiences everyone goes through different things and from one day to the next it might vary but a lot of the things are similar I mean our struggles are similar and our and our strengths are similar too so you know I I'm glad I took a break for a while from the show ring because I needed it for whatever reason but um you know like Barb and I are planning to go to Allentown in January like that's something that you know is going to be really fun because we don't ever see a lot of American shorty bulls at our shows we're used to seeing each other so um you know we want to go down and and support the show and show off our dogs I mean it's it's a fun opportunity I think I think it's something that people should try at least once if you're into dogs if you know why not you know what nothing bad's gonna happen worst case it's gonna be a good laugh you know like mm. i've had dogs that poop in the ring i mean whatever it is what it is like it's it happens mm. it, it's you know but but go out and do it at least make the effort and i think that that's you know also a frustration that i have because i see lots of other breeders oh selling puppies doing this but they never participate in anything and you know i've i think that that's really unfortunate uh could you talk about the the people that are interested in shortables they can look up the the standards online and they're easily accessible but what to you is an ideal shorty bull and when you're uh pairing two together what are you trying to accomplish on your yard and what are your specific standards within the standard that you guys are operating under with these registries i think my ideal story bowl has morphed a lot over the years um i don't think i've quite accomplished it yet um we have a female named maxine that we produced with Devil Mountain um, in partnership. She's probably my biggest accomplishment. Um, she's tiny, she's compact, she has personality for days, and she's blue. And she's, you know, she's my girl. <laughs> so um, I think she's probably come the closest. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's always rewarding when you produce the dog. Like there, you know, I purchased Romo from Shorty Bull Inc. many, many years ago. He's my heart dog. If you follow me on Instagram, I always say I don't have favorites. I do. I mean, Romo is the love of my life. He always will be. Um, I, I've never bred him. I don't have one puppy off of Romo. I just have Romo. And, um, you know, my, my husband loves Cascadia and that's, his dog and you know so we we all have ideas of what we love i think when we do breedings we sort of 
So because we have a lot of dogs now that are older, we we we're now faced with the reality of okay, this is so and so's last litter. So we need our next generation. So we were very sort of methodical in that because we wanted obviously we retire our females a lot sooner than we retire our males. Um so when we when we knew we were retiring Cascadia, for example, um, you know, we we wanted a female like her. We Cascadia is on the bigger side, which personally I don't mind for a female because I think they 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 carry babies and pregnancy very, very well. Um she's still well under the standard, but for my idea, she's she's bigger and that's that's okay. I, I love her, but that's like if I'm being real, that's the one thing that we wanted to improve on was her size. Um so we bred her to the matrix that is a very small compact blue male and from that we got viana so viana is very much her mother but improved and so she was also the only female in the litter so it's not like she gave us much choice but you know she she turned out absolutely beautiful um you know the the same for you know neo turns neo is the matrix we call him neo but um he he's six actually today today's his birthday so you know we've been selective in the last couple breedings that we've done with him to keep a male um you know so that we we always fear that you know what if something happens what if you know the what ifs are are lengthy in the breeding world so we want to make sure that we have options um so we have kept a couple males back from neo over the years and now that all of these puppies that we kept, it's like in the blink of an eye, they're all now mature. They're all now our next generation. And we, we didn't even really see it happening. It kind of just happened. Um, and it, it occurred to me when people started asking me recently, um, because they wanted to reserve puppies for 2024 and they're asking me what I'm doing. And that's when it struck me. I'm like, we're breeding all of these, these dogs that we kept like what was our foundation for everything that we worked for that was like the culmination of it so i think no matter what i end up doing next year i think i'm going to see if i played my cards right (laughs) so it's no pressure on myself but i i'm gonna see if i made the right choices um you know i I think in terms of temperament, I think in terms of personality, we have it pretty much locked down. Like there's, there's no, there's no shorty bowl that I have that I do not like their personality or, I mean, some have quirks, but you know, whatever they're, they're dogs, they're bulldogs. Um, but there's not one that I don't like. There's not one that I can't tolerate. So I think it's just sort of working to maybe make them a little bit more compact. Um, because, you know, that is that is more of a desirable trait if you're looking at showing, if you're looking at, you know, it's not necessarily what people ask for. Um, honestly, in my experience, people have kind of just taken what I had. I mean, I, and truthfully, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I don't breed for anyone else. I, I really like 
you know, even if there are people waiting, if, even if people want a certain thing, I don't, I don't do it for them. And I love my clients dearly. <laughs> they know this, but I do it for me because I keep puppies off of every litter. I, you know, watch them grow and then decide what I'm going to do. But, um, I know this is a very long answer to your question and I apologize, but I, I do want, I think we're at a place where we can just work on the size of the dog. I think everything else is there. I mean, we have, they're healthy, they're, they're, they're happy. They, you know, their temperament is bang on. They all have beautiful colors. Um, now I think we just, we just tweak, we just tweak a little bit. And, you know, I'm, you know, knock on wood, like watch the whole thing go totally awry here next year. But um, I'm, you know, <laughs> oh, it's cuddle time with someone else. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just sort of fine tuning, I think is probably the better term of what we've done. Um, I purchased a dog from Oscar um, this past summer, Periwinkle, who's a blue male, who I've not shown a whole lot of, um, purposely, but I think he's going to knock a lot of socks off. Um, and that's something that I'm super excited to include in our program. So it'll be adding him and it'll be just seeing what our girls can do and, um, see what, you know, you know, if they bring to the table everything that I expect them to, um, I think we'll be in a very good position. I think um, I think now it's something that we'll consider a little bit more. It's, you know, if we go back two, three, four years ago, it wasn't really on our radar because we weren't really doing it. Um, I think the show ring expects a dog with a certain mass, a certain substance. And I think that is super important because that is a huge part of what the shorty bull is. Um, I think, again, that doesn't take away necessarily from the fact that they're athletic. I, you know, I, I think of dogs like the matrix who's super tiny, super compact, but you give him any, any type of ball and he's, you know, watch out world. I mean, he'll, he'll destroy it. Um, and that's fine. I mean, there are dogs that don't have the personality for a show ring and that's just, that's fine too. Uh, but it is something, you know, that I'm, I'm going to look at including a little bit more, um, you know, and that's why I kept a male off of Neo, his past litter, little baby Elvis. Um, you know, females are hard to show because they come into heat and they have litters. And, you know, it, it's it's a much longer road when you show a female versus if you show a male. Um, and, you know, I would like, ideally, like any breeder, to show dogs that I produce. I think that that's, you know, a big part of it. So, I think, you know, that'll be something that we'll keep in mind and we will be showing Elvis. That was definitely something that I wanted to do from the get-go. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's just, it's just waiting to see how they mature. And um, I mean, if you, if you look at, at Maverick, Maverick is the perfect mix of his mom and the perfect mix of his dad. And he just got it. And actually Barb kept two, Maverick and Frankie, and they're both very similar in a lot of ways and they got the best of both worlds um 
I think the dog's temperament in the snow ring does play a lot and that's where you know our dogs are <laughs> they're they're a little feral you know they don't walk on leashes at home they you know they have property they have fenced in yards I mean they, they don't need to and that's that work is on us you know I feel like our failures in the show ring are 100% human related and not so much about the dog um but, you know, like I said, it's a learning experience for us, too. Um, but we did show Maxine last year, and she did really, really well, um, surprisingly, because she's, you know, she's that's totally new for her. But she, she was good. Um, and, yeah, I, I, think, I think it should be a consideration no matter what. I mean, none of our dogs are out of standard. So, you know, by definition, technically, any of them could show. But you you see kind of that evolution too like I I watch the winners from other shows and that kind of gives me also a good idea of you know where where we stand what we should put in the ring I mean it's 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 strategic also like you you kind of you know you go in there to you know show off your best and everyone does everyone comes ready to win and that's super important um you know, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of competition here in Canada. So it's not like we know who wins, we know who does well, but it'll be interesting to go and compete against American dogs and kind of see, you know, just just having more than, you know, one or two or three dogs in a ring will be fascinating to me <laughs> because that's been our reality for so long. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think... I personally, like I can't speak for anyone else, but I, I don't, I don't take it as the bad experience, whether we win or lose. I, everyone wants to win. That's, that's a fact of life, but you know, doing it and showing off your hard work at the end of the day still means something. So if you, if you come home with a ribbon and a trophy, that's awesome. And if you don't, then, you know, you, you still had a great time and your dogs learn a lot constantly. And I think it's super important even now for younger dogs that I'm going to make the effort of bringing them out younger, because I think the sooner you expose them to that kind of, that kind of environment, the more comfortable they're going to be as adults. And I think that that's maybe something that we didn't have the opportunity to do in the past. So I'm excited to be able to do that. And, you know, it's also why... I don't want to have 10 litters a year. I don't want, you know, to get into that. I want to go out and, and show my dogs and enjoy that part of them. And, and it's, it's huge for a relationship with a dog. I mean, to be able to build that trust and that sort of interaction with them is super important. And it's something that we do every day at home, but, you know, doing it outside of the home, traveling with your dog, like that's a whole other experience in itself. Yeah, for sure. It's it's no easy task, is it? Um, especially when you're going hundreds of miles away from home. I see it as a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super happy. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, so talk about the, the diet that you feed your dogs. I'm always interested with especially asking bull breed type people what they feed their dogs because I just know how sensitive – all my English Bulldogs in the past have been with their diets. Another very controversial question. <laughs> so 
I feed my dogs very boring, plain kibble, um, mostly chicken base, <laughs> and they love it. And uh, my dogs probably would eat cardboard if, if given the opportunity. They, they are very food driven. Um, they'll eat anything, honestly. They, they really, you know, we've been stuck in situations where like we live in a more rural area. So sometimes what we need isn't available or isn't delivered or, and we just have to grab whatever else is there. And, you know, they, they don't, they don't react badly to it. Um, and you know, some of our dogs are older and I thought that maybe as they got older, you know, they would have more sensitive stomachs or they would have, you know, like sometimes they get you know, mushy poop or things like that. And they, they really do well. I think, um, you know, even our puppies start off obviously on a puppy formula, but it's still kibble. It's still, you know, it's not fancy. Um, you know, we've tried various things over the years. I mean, there's, you know, we, we do have the consideration of we're feeding X amount of dogs per day. So, I mean, we go through a lot of food. Um, so we had to find something, that as much as possible suited at least all of the adults. I mean, managing a puppy formula and an adult formula is fine. But when you start having five, six, and I know people who <laughs> have five, six different kinds of food and different kinds of diets for their dogs, and that just becomes extremely complicated. Um, but shorty bowls seem to, for the most part, you know, withstand, you know, most types of food very well um so I mean we've been lucky in that area I do you know I do give my dogs a lot of supplements um like I very much another controversial thing but I very much believe in like naturally supplementing your dogs versus um more like the vaccination chemical route um so I do you know give them a lot of probiotics give them a lot of immune boosters just natural products that are you know super common now super easy to find um but I've done it over the years and I think you know hopefully it's made a difference maybe it's played a part in you know them not having issues um but yeah it, it's it's not it's not complicated it's it's kibble and water and fresh air and sunshine it's you know that's that's been the magic formula you know before the puppies are even born the things that you're feeding to the mom do do play a role and you know things like allergies are and intolerances can be genetic not always but they can be so you know the the sweet potato salmon is is a no-brainer I think a lot of people use that and rightfully so. I mean, I do alternate between a chicken and a fish formula, depending on kind of how I feel. <laughs> I mean, there's no like magical reason to it. Um, but I do think, you know, it's important that they try different proteins and I do it with the puppies too, because if they're going to have a reaction to something, I would rather they have it while I have them and I can sort of know and manage it and give, you know, whoever's getting a puppy a heads up. Um, but those are kind of the two, like we've, we've tried lamb and rice. We've like, we, we try them all because why not? I mean, our dogs do well on them and varying proteins is, is important. If your dogs can, obviously if your dog can't support it, then you don't, you stick to what works. But you know, if, if you want to try things out and you know, there's, 
you know, the pet industry is a billion dollar industry, right? So there's constantly new products coming out. There's constantly new types of food and freeze dried. And, you know, like anything is, is exists now. Like if, if you can think it, they've created it. Um, so, I mean, I think I think there there's no right or wrong answer. I think it's finding what works for you, um, what your dogs like, and what your dogs thrive on. I mean, our dogs, obviously, we're in Canada. We we have lots and lots of winter. Um, hasn't arrived yet, surprisingly, but you know, we get really cold days. We get a lot of snow. Um, you know, our dogs still go outside, so so they do need to maintain. A certain body weight to withstand the colder days um they're obviously not outside for extended periods of time but even so like every even our house gets colder like you know the heat is on but it's still cold it that's that's just how it is but you know so we do like feed them more for example in the winter months because they need that extra body fat to just be able to sustain the cold in the winters um you know but but once you find what you're comfortable with and you know I've learned also that every area is different like sometimes it's harder to get certain types of food um you know we for example we sell a lot of puppies to the United States well sometimes the foods that we use aren't available there they're Canadian brands and you know they just don't exist so you have to find whatever's closest to um but you know it is important like you said to ask what your dogs were eating, what the parents of your dogs were eating, because that's usually a really good place to start. And I notice a lot of people have issues when they start changing foods. You know? So if it works, just stick with it. Just ride it out. And, you know, that's that's the best for your dog in the long run, no matter what it is, no matter how good or bad it is. If your dog does well on it, there's no reason for you to change it. We are, but we're so bombarded with information. I mean, from all sides, from, from you know, you walk into the pet store and it's, you know, like there's hundreds of kinds of food that, and treats and supplements. And I mean, like, don't even get me started on the raw. Like there's so many options and I can see why people get overwhelmed. And that's why, that's why I, I just plead with people to just stick with, with something very simple, stick with what is working and you know the trends will pass I mean some brands are better than others we all know that um but you know what works for one person maybe doesn't work for the other and vice versa and that's the thing like environmental allergies are are huge I mean it, it's not everyone blames chicken but it's not always the chicken it's you know there's so much more to it than that there's even like there's a lot of health issues that are linked to ingredients in your kibble too so it is important to to research that a little bit and understand you know the things that can be harmful um because unfortunately you know not all pet foods are formulated with your dog's best interest that's just unfortunately the facts i mean if you have breeding dogs it's different than you have if you have a pet dog if your dog is spayed or neutered it's not going to react the same to food than if it's intact um you know but it, it's just once you find that balance um you know just 
just go with it and then if like like you said like people move people so you might have to adapt you'll have to adapt your quantities of food depending on your climate you know in the in the summertime you know I always say that Canadian dogs are built really really tough because we have super cold winters and super hot summers um but you know in the summer sometimes we usually we feed our dogs twice a day in the morning and in the evening in the summertime we'll often just feed them one time either super early before it gets hot or late at night when it cools down because they just don't assimilate food in the same way when it's very warm versus the winter where you know we do give extra portions and extra supplements just to keep their immune systems good so that they don't have to you know on top of dealing with a cold climate and snow i mean they're shorty bulls like when it snows they're like you can look at my instagram they're covered in snow there's there's ears poking out there's and you know we my husband like plows a little circle so they all go around in the little circle um you know but you have to to keep that in mind and i think you know you have to watch your dogs and a lot of people i don't know why this is lost on them but you see dogs that are extremely underweight or overweight and i think to myself how did you not notice you know i like there there's a change there so if there's a change you have to adapt i mean if if you're breeding your female it's different than if you're not you know there's so many variables um but you know like if we're talking about breeders and not pet homes like if you're specifically talking about a breeder you need to be able to deal with those things you need to be able to understand nutrition and you know as breeders, we we have to become all of these things. We have to be, you know, a social media coordinator and we have to be a dog nutritionist and we have to be a little bit of a vet tech and we have to, you know, be be a coach and be an athlete and we have to do all of, and a groomer, you have to be a groomer. So you have to do all of these things. And if you're not willing to do that, then just truthfully, just get out of the way. Just, just move on to something else because it, it's, it's so encompassing and you you can't play with a dog's health. You can't let your dog get overweight. You can't let it get underweight. You can't not properly feed a pregnant female. Like those are all really basic things. And the food discussion I think is a really important one. And it's not one that we necessarily hear a lot. So I'm glad you brought it up. But it, it's it's such a vital part of if you're going to have success. If your dogs are going to remain healthy and be able to reproduce, they have to have the nutrients. It's like us. If you eat fast food every day, that's great. I love fast food, but it's not a viable option. It's not going to, you're not going to be at your peak health then, you know, if you actually pay attention to what you're putting in your body. So, I mean, dogs are, are no different. Yeah. So generally speaking, they get fed twice a day. Uh, we're talking about adult dogs. The puppies are, are a different routine. Um, so in the morning and in the evening, they get a portion. Um, in the warm winter months, the winter, yeah, the warm winter months, no, the warm summer months, they sometimes get fed just once a day um, just because the heat is really sometimes too much. So we tend to let them out um, very early in the day and very late in the day um, just to make sure that they're not, you know, bulldogs I mean they do they do well in the heat for the most part but I'm you know that's not something that I really want to play around with and so I would rather just make sure that they're safe 
um, and then they they digest differently. You know, obviously when it's super warm, their, their digestive systems are are not reacting the same as a normal day. Um, same goes with the cold. I mean, they're burning calories just by keeping themselves warm. So, you know, it's important to make sure that they have, you know, those two meals. And like I said, I bump them up a little bit at this time of year just to make sure that, you know, as long as my dog physically stays the same, then I'm happy. Whatever that means in terms of portions, I mean, I don't really care as long as no matter the time of year the dog physically looks the same then that means we're getting everything that they need mm -hmm. just a couple more questions for you and then we'll we'll wrap it up um where uh do you see your your program in say five or ten years where do you want it to be that's a very good question <laughs> And I might watch this five or 10 years from now and think I was totally off track. Um, I think I, I'm very happy with the direction that we're going in. Um, I would like to see that amplified. I, you know, I have big dreams. I, you know, I would like more space. <laughs> I would like to keep more dogs. Um, my husband is not going to be happy when this eventually <laughs> hits the internet, but you know, I, I want, I want us to keep going on the path that we're on. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm happy with the people that we're working with. I'm happy with the dogs that we're creating. Um, I mean, it's, it's fine tuning that look and it's maintaining it. I think, you know, people sort of, sometimes have a couple nice litters and sit back and think, oh, okay, I'm done. Um, that's not the case. I know, you know, just because of how the breed was originally created, you can get throwbacks. You can get this random stuff come out that you were never in a million years expecting. Um, it's just to work with that. You know, I, I know that five, 10 years from now, a lot of the dogs that I have now are not going to be around anymore. And I, you know, part of that is going to be dealing with that reality. It's going to be grieving, you know, a whole generation of what we've done. Um, and hopefully we've held enough back to get us through the next 10 years. And, you know, this, this sounds super corny, but you know, the last decade gone went by in, in a split second. I mean, I, I look at, you know, my dogs and like, I remember most of their birthdays. So I kind of, you know, I make sure to like somewhat immortalize it. And, um, you know, I look and, and sometimes I have to look back on the paper where I'm like, no, you can't be seven. Like we just got you. And, you know, a lot of people, and we haven't talked about this, but I think it's an important part. Like a lot of people, ask us why we have so many dogs. Why don't we rehome our dogs when we're done breeding them? Why don't we pet home them? Why don't, you know, and we do sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I can kind of count them on one hand. Um, but these dogs are a part of our family. They're a part of our life. And yes, that's, that's extra work. It's extra mouths to feed. Um, but people don't realize like, we've raised these puppies their whole entire lives. They've been our dogs. So it's very hard for us to say, 
okay, we're done. You can go now. I mean, that's not the kind of people that we are. And so I think that's why keeping dogs back to us has been extra special because we have watched them grow up alongside their parents and their grandparents. And I want to continue doing that. If, if nothing else, I want to continue the way that we have been. I think, I think we can do better. I mean, everyone can always do better. I think we can breed more consistently. And I think that we will because, you know, we've sort of funneled down you know, we, we started very broad because we, we sort of liked a whole bunch of stuff. And now we've, you know, brought it down to a point where our dogs look more the same. And I think that that's something that we're going to continue to strive for is that consistency. That's, that's what everyone hopes for. And that's, you know, the ultimate goal. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot in terms of color and it's not the end all be all, but it is a big part of who we are. Um, I do want to try dog. <laughs> I'm putting it out there in the universe. Um, you know, that's something that I'm definitely aiming for next year. So hopefully five, 10 years down the road, we're still around. <laughs> we're still doing this. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, maybe not to the scale that we're doing it now. Um, you know, we did bring our numbers down over the years, but I think we'll always do it. I think we'll always be known for doing it. And I hope that we can encourage and support other people to get into the breed. Um, we didn't really talk about this a lot, but I don't work with a lot of breeders. I don't sell many dogs with breeding rights. I, I pick and choose those situations. And when I do go that route, I, I think it's super important to have a contact and a connection with that person so that you can work together, um, you know, for whatever reason, for them and for us to kind of see how that evolves and all of that. So, you know, I'm hoping that eventually, you know, we've aligned ourselves with the right people as well. And we can watch other people grow with our dogs. We can watch other programs benefit from things that we've created. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I would like to see more than that. I would like to see the quality especially in Canada, I would like to see the quality go up. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people can and should step up their game and we'll see in time if maybe we can support them in doing that. I, and I do try to be transparent. I'm a very open book. I said this to you when you first approached me. I mean, I, I don't, I, I want people to learn from our experiences, whether they're good or bad. I mean, I don't, I don't want to watch people struggle. There's, there's no fun in that for me. Um, you know, I, I want, you know, I want people to say good things about us. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we, we make money off of that. That, that just means I want people to, to have connections and relationships with them. And, you know, for you to go off and if you buy a shorty bull in the future, then, you know that you've bought the best dog because you've researched it and you've talked to enough people and you, you've gathered all the information. And to me, that's important because I want to see good shorty bulls being produced, whether it's me or someone else doing it. That doesn't matter. I want to see good quality dogs. I want to see them out in the world. I, you know, I, you know, I still to this day would love to 
walk down the sidewalk in any random city and see a shorty bolt, like you see a golden retriever and be like, oh my God, that's a shorty bolt. Now, it, if it happens, I, I sort of like I'm taken off guard because I'm so not used to seeing shorty bowls. Um, you know, but it's, you know, I think that that's something that's important is to just promote the breed and promote it in the right ways, promote it in a positive fashion and to have people like you that, you know, that have discovered this little gem of a dog and, you know, want to know more. I think that's, that's super important for the breed to grow. For sure. And if I, I, I 100% agree, and I think there's sometimes a, a tendency in, in the dog game where people want to hold back their stock and they don't, they're really like, secretive and they don't want people to, to get a hold of it and they don't want people to to advance that I, I i i understand it because it's your hard work and all your effort but at the same time like uh it's maybe at the betterment of the 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 breed and the community as a whole that sometimes you let some of your gems go and take a risk and be willing to lose just like you would if you were, say, purchasing a puppy from another kennel to put in your program, it's no, yeah. it's no guarantee, and so I just see. No, and yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that you know sometimes maybe taking that same risk, but, but with with the with the customer and saying, well, you know, they have some good thoughts. I like who they are. They like what they're saying, and let me give them a shot and I'll give them this nice dog. And not only will I promote my breed, but I'll promote my kennel. Uh, yep. And, and I know a lot of times people have been burned and, and it's easy for me to say as a consumer and not a breeder where, you know, your hard work goes down the drain and this person kind of makes you feel like they stabbed you in the back. I know it's really a difficult thing, but, you know, we all take risks, especially when you're dealing with livestock, and dogs are livestock, in my opinion. So, yeah, it and what you say is very true, and I think that's why. I mean, my vision of it over the years has changed, and you know, at the end of the day, somewhere down the line, someone took a chance on me, and I'm really grateful for that. And if I can pass that on to someone else, I definitely will. I'm. I, I'm still, you know, I think I'll always ask probably too many questions to people. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I want my dogs to be taken care of. If you, if you want to breed it, then I trust that you're going to breed it to something that is worthwhile. And, you know, it, it doesn't hurt anyone to give people a chance and give people an opportunity, like you said. Um, Luckily, you know, the backstabbings have been minimal. There's, there's been a few, but, you know, you know, interestingly enough, um, it's always people that you think are your friends that end up hurting you more than strangers. Um, so, I mean, those are life lessons too, but, you know, if someone comes to me and, and wants a stud or wants to get into breeding, I'm all ears and, you know, I would much rather see that than the things that I don't like are, you know, people that message me that don't say hi and write price tag with a question mark. Like, 
I'm, I'm not interested in that. Like, that's not a conversation that I'm going to entertain. But, you know, recently I've gone to know quite a few people who are starting out in shorty bowls who have really good ideas. And if they can keep the vision that they have now, they're going to do really amazing things. And I want to be there to support that. Um, and like you said, someone who who loves your program and wants to take one of your dogs and promote it, I mean, that's the best business model out there. I mean, when you have happy customers that are showing off your dog, that that speaks more than anything else you'll ever do. I mean, I can sit here for the next five years and tell you that I love my dogs and I think they're great, but coming from a client, I mean, that that says a whole lot more to me. But I think you, in the long run, I mean, it's an investment like anything else. I mean, you know, the the market is what it is, but I think you build connections with people and, you know, you, you eventually, I, I think you still come out on top. I think if you align yourself with people who have similar visions and interests as you, you're, you're going to end up a winner. Um, I mean, I just recently sold a female to to someone and with breeding rights and as we got to know each other and as we got to talking I said look I said if you want to breed her down the line I said I'll, I'll, I'll offer you a good deal on a stud because it would mean a lot to me if you came back and we could work together or even do a pup back or you know things like that and I think that that's definitely something that is worth exploring I think you know not that I would necessarily do it with 20 people a year, but I think sometimes you meet the right people at the right moment in time. And, you know, it's an opportunity for everyone. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and it and it's something to look forward to. I mean, it's easy for us to get kind of stuck in our everyday, like, nose to the ground doing our work. But, you know, to hear from other people and hear different perspectives, I think... You know, we're, yes, we, we know a lot. We've done this a long time. We don't know everything. We're, we're still learning. Um, and we can still learn from other people. Uh, is cropped ears necessary in shorty bulls? This is my favorite question. Um, that and the health testing one. Those are my favorite questions. Um, it is the breed standard. It is, to me, very important. Um, it's kind of a non-negotiable thing, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the dogs that I showcase that do not have crops uh, are for two reasons. One, I had my first, the first female I kept, Lil' Kim, doesn't have cropped ears because at the time... I lived in Montreal and it was banned in the province of Quebec. So she has her natural ears that are like little Frenchy ears. Um, she's the only dog that I ever kept that I did not crop. And it was for that very specific reason. Um, if I sell a puppy and the client doesn't want the dog cropped, I ask that the puppy be chosen and paid for prior to my ear crop appointment. Um, because it's very hard after a certain age to get a puppy cropped. So far, that has gone very well. <laughs> Everyone has been very understanding of that. Um, 
and they love their puppies the way that they are. They're dogs that are strictly pet home, non-breeding. Um, they are all neutered. I think they're all males actually, except for little Kim. Um, you know, so, and that's part of it. If, if you want a dog for breeding purposes, your dog absolutely has to be cropped. I prefer to do the crops myself before the puppies leave. Um, it's more time and money, obviously, on our part. But I think as breeders, it's important to uphold the standard. I think um, even just from a logistical perspective, if anything were to go wrong, I would much rather it be on me than someone bringing a new puppy home and having issues. Um, I know our vet does an excellent job and uh, the ears are always nice. They're always, you know, they heal up nicely. The dogs don't have any issues. So I consider that to be my responsibility as a breeder, unless otherwise asked by the client, but um, I get them cropped. And if for whatever reason, a puppy is not spoken for at the age of the ear crop, I get it cropped anyway, because I mean, it's a shorty bull. <laughs> it has to have a crop. Um, I know some people don't crop for reason X, Y, Z. I I don't I don't see the reasoning behind it. Uh, and I know there's no bad answer. People do you know whatever they want. Um, but to me, it's it's a no brainer and it's pretty non negotiable. <laughs> I'm sure they have some troubles in, in Europe being able to do that sort of thing. So. They do. So, But that's another thing, though. I, I know in some places it's banned. So, you know, if people can't, like, we, we sell a lot of dogs out of outside of Ontario, obviously. And I know that for some people it's hard to find a veterinarian that'll crop the ears. Or in some places you just, like you said, flat out can't do it. And that's why, to me, it's that much more important to get it done for them. So that when the puppy leaves, it's exactly the way that it's supposed to be. It's exactly, mm -hmm. it has the look that it's supposed to have and it can go. I mean, the, those laws don't say you can't have a crop dog. It just says you can't crop the dog's ears there, which mm -hmm. is fine. If you purchase the dog from somewhere else and it's cropped, that's a non-issue. Um, you know, I don't want, <laughs> you know, people doing it um, with a bad vet that ends up you know, a horrible crop will ruin a dog. You can take the nicest dog. If you give it horrible ears, you've, you've just ruined it. Um, or even, you know, like dogs getting cropped on kitchen tables. I mean, I hear it all the time. It's, um, you know, it's frightening <laughs> to me. But, you know, I, I know that my crops are done well. I know that my dogs are safe. I know that they recover well. Um you know, and, and then the people receive the puppy exactly as it's intended to be. If you had all the time, the money, and the space, you didn't have to worry about any of that, what would be the second breed that you would breed? That's a very interesting question. Um... I don't actually uh, the first breed that comes to mind is I think it's I think it's called a Saluki. It's a very do you know what that is? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you you 
you see them running in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by those dogs. And it's the most random, like, it, it's a very far cry from a shorty bull. Um, I just, I'm, I'm just fascinated. Um, not sure what I would do with it. Not sure, you know, if it would even, sur- it might not survive in Canada. But um, I think they're just a, a cool breed. I mean, I've owned other breeds. Like I said, I've had American Bulldogs. I still have oldies that are old and you know they oldies that are old that's funny but they you know they they watch over our shorties i mean we we've had exotics we've had american bullies um you know they're all very similar kind of in in type and personality so i think if i had you know not a care in the world i would probably go for something totally different um and you know just something that i know absolutely Consider joining our Patreon community to access exclusive content, early releases, and personalized experiences. Subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like-minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews, appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us. Do you enjoy listening to audio podcasts like I do? Consider joining the Bulldog Social Club Spotify membership. For a limited time, it's only $1.99. Get early releases and personalized experiences. Subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like-minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us.